Hello everyone and welcome back to the Kickabout. Arsenal lose their unbeaten run as Arteta loses his cool. I'm your host Chris. I'm Pete. And I'm Lee. Everyone and welcome to episode 149 of the Kickabout. Uh, no Shearer this week. He had a late, uh, late family issue that he had to go and deal with. Um, hopefully, he'll be back next week. As far as Dan goes, I don't know when he's to be back actually, because he's Who cares? yeah, that's true. It's better now. Anyway, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Well, we've got a lot to cover tonight, and it's a bloody good thing that we're recording early enough that we don't have to cover this Tottenham Chelsea game because honestly, in this first half, it's been absolute carnage. In this first <laughs> half, um, so uh, yeah, we, we won't be talking about that particularly. Um, but I mean, if we've got time, I suppose we can talk about some of the bits that happened in the first half. But as always, before we get going, we will start with this. Damn the stat, man! So Dan's kindly uh, given me another stat for him this week, and this one is—I'm sure Lee will love this. Cole Palmer is averaging 8.3 progressive passes per 90 minutes in the Premier League this season, the most of any player to start at least four games. But can you name the remaining four of the top five? Okay. Dan, Dan's pulling, pulling yeah. out the stops when he's not here, isn't he, eh? Well, thank you very much for that. We will get the answer to that later on in the show, as always. Um, I'm not proposing we talk about Fantasy League tonight because it's been a fucking shit show. Pete, do you want to talk about it? No, I'm right. <laughs> I will say I've actually broken to the top 50 of the podcast one for the first time ever. Have you? Yeah. How are you that far up? I mean, you're literally like a speck on the horizon as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I think it was a bad week for everyone, to be brutally honest. I mean, I got... Uh, I thought it was going to say zero. Fucking hell. I, I got 23. So I somehow, again, managed to go underneath the average. Um, my front line combined for a grand total of six points. Same. Uh, Harlan captain got me two points because he didn't even get to 60 minutes before he was taken off. In fact, the only player, looking at my entire team, the only player that got more than two points was Bowen. Every other player got either one or two. Fantastic. Absolute carnage. So, uh, yeah, one, see, two, three, four. 41 points on yours. 41 though. points. Oh, yeah, yeah that, that, was, that, was a, that was a bad weekend. Um, the fact that Harland, I mean, I think they were like only like three lap at halftime or something like that, but Harland didn't have a hand in any of them, which was, yeah, very typical, but whatever. Um, so I think there is some more tastier fixtures coming up next week, though, like Arsenal playing Burnley, United playing Luton, Newcastle away at Bournemouth. So there's some, there's some potential there. Not sure about I might have to take Harland off, though away at Chelsea and if he's injured as well mm. maybe one to keep an eye on right okay um, well we're going to do our kick about alternate universe before we get going so last week we did we put together our five star teams with the best players or, you know our, our best five star team we could come up with this time we've gone the other way if you listen last week I did warn you I said we we're going to be doing our worst five star teams this actually took a little bit more thinking and digging in than I thought it was going to. Because um, so, we were just doing Premier League as well, wasn't we, this time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, Pete, why don't you uh, kick us off? Okay. Um, it might not be all Premier League, this. That's fine. Whatever. But it might just, just before the Premier League started, I'd, I'd say. 
Um, so I've gone with my most hated Pompey player in goal, um, the Greek Kostas Chalkias, his name is. Yeah, I know who you mean. Um, so he came in after winning the Euros with Greece in like 2004. <laughs> Within the space of like five or six games, he had like three own goals. <laughs> and then when our defender um, scored an own goal, he punched him. <laughs> <laughs> Since then, he's... He got shipped off and Jamie Ashdown came in. Um, so, yeah, that's my most hated goalkeeper. <laughs> um, Defender-wise, uh, couldn't really decide, but it's either Titus Bramble or Frank Sinclair. Frank Sinclair. <laughs> He's Chelsea, wasn't he? Was he a Chelsea boy? Yeah, yeah. than Chelsea. Uh, midfielders, I've gone for so good or so bad they named him twice. Yeah. Uh, any guesses? Eric Jemba Jemba. I think he's very similar. Um <laughs> And actually, a United duo, because I've put uh, Bebe on there as well. Oh, God, I fucking forgot about him. <laughs> yeah, my word. Uh, and up top, a nice little story, if you don't know, um, is Ali Diaz. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. yeah. I didn't mean mine. Did you ever mean yours as well? No, but I was close to him. Yeah, me. go on then. You, you, do, you want to, do you want to tell the story? I'll, I'll let you have the story. So if you go for your team. Okay, all right. So my team then, so I had... Um, I thought I had to stick one or two West Ham players there because we've had some fucking stinkers over the years. Roberto, you know, remember him, the goalkeeper? No. Had him a couple of years ago. Uh, I think he was under Pellegrini. And he came in on a six-month loan and he didn't even last the six-month loan. We sent him <laughs> back. He was that shit. I've never seen a player look so scared of actually a football as a goalkeeper. He was incredibly bad. Uh, defensively, I have a feeling he actually, this guy actually played for West Ham as well. Uh, he don't, don't, not for very long, but I remember him for his time at Liverpool. Uh, Rigobert Song. Absolute just useless. I've never heard of him. Either. Absolutely useless. Cameroon, <laughs> Cameroonian defender. Um, so I've gone uh, for a sort of a very attacking uh, five-side team as I did last week as well. So my midfield three. I'll start with the. I've got two stories to tell about two of my my strikers, just because they're, they're just brilliant. Francis Jeffers is one of them. <laughs> it's one of my strikers. I mean, you know, to, promised a lot, never really delivered. And the other two I've got, we've got obviously Ali Dia, which we'll get to in a second. I've also got this guy called Savio Enserico, who was a West Ham signing. Um, and again, didn't last six months with us after we bought him and we shipped him off. So we'll start with uh, we'll start with Savio Enserico. So um, West Ham's bought him for nine million. He'd only scored three senior goals in his career. We bought him from Brescia, who were in Serie B at the time. Um, he'd been named player of the tournament the under 19 Euros but just never really got to grips with Premier League football which was just way too physical for him he was sold to Fiorentina just 10 league games later um, for 3 million so a big loss and bearing in mind this is 2009 so you know, that's a reasonable chunk of money at the time for West Ham and after that his uh, his career uh, drifted through a number of goalless loan spells and personal issues. Uh, issues sorry. In 2012, he reportedly spent some time in a Thai prison after faking his own kidnapping. Uh, <laughs> Savio only scored a trio of goals before joining West Ham in 2009. It took him again until 2013-2014 season to score again, by which time he had played for 10 different clubs. <laughs> pretty much like the story of like Lord Bentner as well isn't yeah. it yeah yeah um, so yeah so that was him that was the interesting one and then so to, to Ali Dia um, so yeah so he was a Southampton player um, most people probably would have heard of this story it's it's quite incredible that this even happened um, he's he's been labelled as the greatest sporting con artist of all time uh, 23rd of November 1996 Dia made his first appearance for Southampton having come on as a substitute for Matt Letizia. 
Uh, and in the most bizarre way, he managed to last just 53 minutes before Graham Souness hauled him back off again. The story's been repeated so many times that he claimed to have played 13 international games for Senegal. Apparently, he claimed that he'd scored two days prior to his signing and that he was the cousin of former World Cup winner George Weir. Graham Souness, the then manager, reportedly got a call from someone who claimed to be George Weir to vouch for his football credentials. Souness signed him on a 30-day contract without having seen him play a proper game other than a five-a-side. Uh, he actually nearly scored by almost pure fluke. Um, and then, yeah, they suddenly worked, worked out that this guy had basically never really played a football match properly in his life. He had, however, been playing. He wasn't playing for Senegal. He wasn't playing abroad. He was playing in, I think, the eighth tier of English football. And he managed to manage to play 53 minutes in the Premier League game. Um, <laughs> he moved to, moved to Gateshead after that. He did, yeah. yeah. Um, Matt Letizio described him as Bambi on ice. He said it was embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> basically said to the gaffer, what are you doing? He's hopeless. Um, yeah, quite incredible that he managed to dupe someone like Graham Souness. Mm. Uh, apparently he now lives in London so um, if anyone happens to see him then make sure you give Graham Souness a call <laughs> so that's my five-a-side team full of stories <laughs> go on in Lee right so my five-a-side team so in goal I picked two because I was a bit worried that everyone might pick the same one because he's very obvious yeah. it's Massimo Taibbi yes yeah. he was a shock I mean we all remember him for that one through, through the, the legs. legs yeah and was... always wearing trousers oh god yeah he did yeah yeah yeah, yeah. there was a few keepers back then who used yeah. to do that I've also gone for Mark Bosnich. So he had a season at United, did nothing. Come to Chelsea, had a season there, did nothing. And then got banned for failing a drugs test. That's and then right. didn't yeah. really see anything of him Wasn't after he at that. Villa before United or something like that? I think like that's that. where he come from. So yeah. he, I think, yeah, he went from Villa to United for a season, did nothing. Chelsea bought him, did nothing. And <laughs> got banned. I thought someone was going to be horrid and put Carius in, in goal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, he's, his career is, I think he's, you know, suffered, suffered enough <laughs> the way his career's gone. So like Pete, uh, in defence, I've also gone for Frank Sinclair. In midfield, I've gone for Nicolas Pepe. <laughs> Come in for, at the time, record money for Arsenal. Did 75 nothing, million? Something like that, yeah. And uh, has disappeared since then. And I also had, had Eric Gemba Gemba, but... Because you picked him, I will go for Tonali. Because uh, <laughs> oh, why is Shearer not here? I basically put him in here for Shearer, but he's not here. So, <laughs> and then up top, I could have probably picked pretty much any Chelsea number nine, <laughs> 10, 12 years. I've gone a little bit further back, and I've gone for uh, Kesman. Ty Kesman, yeah, because yeah, he was. I think he. Got about four goals in total. Was he Promised the one who got done with drugs, or was that Mutu? Uh, no, sorry, Mutu. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Kesman, uh, yeah, did next to nothing. So. Yeah, I remember those days. That was just when you first got your uh, <laughs> Gramovich money. money. Yeah. Um, you started buying all these players, and it, it took a little while for it to click. Give it a couple more months. Nicholas Jackson might be in there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, dear, right there we go. Um, if you happen to have any five side teams that you want to remember or let us know, then just ping us on social media or on email or uh, wherever you want to, uh, wherever you listen to your pods. Right then, let's switch our attention then to the Premier League, and there really is one only one place to start this weekend. Um, it's um, it's sort of all anybody's talking about after the weekends because of VAR and refereeing decisions. Um, so let's kind of get straight to it. We'll talk about the game in a moment. Newcastle against Arsenal, of course. I think this is the, probably the first time I've ever seen a VAR situation where they're having to judge three decisions mm-hmm. in one. Well, mm-hmm. So 
I'm, well, yeah, apart from tonight, actually, there was almost three tonight, wasn't there, in one of theirs. Um, how do you guys feel about this one? So let's, let's I mean, we could probably, probably split this down, down into, into, three. into three. So we'll start with the ball. Was, was the ball out? No. What do you guys so think? So it looks out, but since the time we've seen that it isn't out. So it's like an optical illusion from certain angles it looks out. But when you're actually looking directly over the ball, there is still part of it over the line. So. Are you talking about the image that we saw from being Sports or wherever it was? There's, didn't they use like the goal line technology? I'm not sure. Yeah, where I mean, it's it's something along that. In the, in yeah. the, was it Japan and Spain as yes. well? Yeah. In the World Cup. Just from a spherical object. Yeah. I mean, it, the ball's in. As as far as the, uh, the images go, mm-hmm. Sky Sports actually put a video out earlier with Gary Neville and they actually reset it up and showed you how it can the, look. The camera angle. Yeah that they had, it looked miles out, and then they changed the camera around over the top and you could see the ball was well, over what, the line. What I would say about that, though, is that's all well and good having that technology for the lines, but why can't you do a bird's eye view with offsides? Because mm. that would make it so much easier. Yeah. I mean, you know, they have they often have those cameras on those like those yeah. wires, don't yeah. they, that go up and down the pitch, so it wouldn't be a particularly... I mean, maybe there's certain grounds that maybe you couldn't really do that in, I don't know, but um, maybe there's a... Would there be but, a safety issue with that? I don't know. There's, there's, that's, that's now the second contentious decision with is the ball still in play or not? Mm. And both times it's been proved and yet they can't seem to get an offside right. Yeah, I think at the time, I don't know whether they had any other angles they were looking at that we didn't see as, as, the, mm. as the viewers, as the fans. Um, what, I, like what I would say is, is that another example to show you, to, to make people understand that it can be an optical illusion because the ball is a sphere. So it can look, you know, there's one angle that we all saw that it looked miles out. And then you look from behind it from a different angle and it looks like he's kept it in. If you think about when players take corners and they always put the ball like right on the very edge of the quadrant, you always see the linos just peek over the top of the ball and they walk back. And from the naked eye, you think, well, it's surely it's not in the quadrant, but the liner has literally looked directly down on, on above and he's happy with it. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly the same here. So I think it's we're unanimous here that, you know, that part of it, we're happy for VAR to, to be given a tick here. Um, so let's move on to the second part, which was... Um, offside, wasn't it? We'll go, yeah, we'll do the offside first. Um, I personally can't see any reason why it was offside. It didn't, no. to the naked eye, it did not look offside at all. No. Um, to me, he looked. Gordon looks like he's ever so slightly behind mm-hmm. um, whoever it is. I think it was Wilson, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Oh, no, sorry, Joe Linton, um, who wins the header with Gabrielle. So it doesn't matter at that point where Gordon is in yeah. terms of the defenders because if he's behind the player mm-hmm. and the ball, it don't matter anyway. So I think, unless Pete, you think differently? No, 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 I agree with that. So then we move on to the probably the one that's caused the most talk, uh, which is whether or not it was a foul. I've watched this a lot. I've tried to look at this from various angles and try and get my own opinion on it. I'm coming down on thinking it probably was a foul. I'm I'm with you. I, I think it was a foul. He's got two hands on his back. I, what can the defender do there? Like, is, is, For me, it's a foul. Yeah. Pete? I want to agree with that. And I'm like... 60 40 percent only from the positioning of the defender i can't remember who it was gabriel gabriel is it positioning wise his knees were bent and he was already going to ground before the contact was made yes and i think the the hands on his back initially i thought well no he's he's gotten there but he's not actually physically pushed him yeah looked it back a few other times and i was like there's a little bit of contact but 
if I actually think about where that ball's coming, Gabriel's way too far underneath that ball from his position anyway. So yeah. it's not like he's going to have the power to get back up and, and even make a nod anywhere. But then so, could he have impacted it in other ways? Not, I guess if he's got his hands on his back, is that preventing him from coming mm-hmm. up in the first place is maybe what yeah. the, the, the argument is. I know, The thing is, I think Gary Neville alluded to that on comms at the time. He said that Gabriel has gone down and Jonathan is, if any, if nothing else, is actually putting his arms out to kind of brace himself because he's got to kind of jump over Gabriel a little bit. Mm. So he needs to put his arms out for balance and for, you know, just to brace himself at that point. So... I think that we can all say that there's a, you know, out of the three, VAR um, has got two of them right, potentially maybe got the foul bit wrong. Um, But obviously going back to VAR's kind of mantra, which is clear and obvious, I'm not sure it was clear and obvious enough. I don't think, we'll get to what Arteta, you know, his his reaction Hmm. to this in a minute. I don't think you can actually class this as a VAR clang or a howler, in my opinion. And and the thing is, it's all subjective again. Like, it's one person's opinion so like pete is probably your virgin more on probably not a foul yeah same person in the uh, var might have thought the same thing so yeah you know it's 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 tricky because as you say that there's four four five different people in that var room it's, it was i know it took a long time but i think uh, i think gary neville because i think the commentators have got a like a live feed into stockley park so they can give updates so i think gary neville actually said they they asked for more time mm-hmm. because there's so much for them to go through um which i think on this occasion we can let them off and say okay yeah fair enough they did have three separate incidents to yeah. look at and evaluate so and they've almost got to the right decision in our opinion, not quite in obviously in Pete's opinion, but that again just begs the point. If it's not clear and obvious, yeah. if we can't even be unanimous, just the three of us, then that probably paints the picture that therefore we don't know. So we'll go with the referees on field yeah, exactly. call, which is what we should be, mm-hmm. right? Um, so let's get on to Arteta's reaction because for me, I feel like this is miles over the top. I think it's quite unprofessional and I think it's also you could almost argue that he I don't know if he's doing it for a reason because he's trying to sort of uh, you know go on a favour in future decisions by putting some he's, doubt in the mind he's also a massive hypocrite because have you do you remember what happened in the Liverpool game where the VAR decision benefited them yeah the goal that was supposed to be given and mm-hmm. they didn't they give it do you, do you remember what he said after the game? What have you seen? No, go on. So I've got it here <laughs> cool. to remind you what he said after the game. So this is Arteta. Bearing in mind the rant he went on. Are we talking about the Liverpool-Spurs game? Or is it an Arsenal-Liverpool game? Arsenal. No, so what game? So there was a, a game. I can't remember what game it was now. The contentious decision. Yeah. That was Spurs-Liverpool. Do you know where the goal was? So yeah, but uh, Arteta um, brought this up after that game. Right, so okay. he said... Uh, I think they are uh, trying to make the best decisions. They are trying to protect the game. They are trying to get as much support and be ruthless when they need to be. At some point, as we uh, as well, we need to give support and understand that mistakes happen. We've made mistakes as well. And if the pressure is so much, then it's very difficult to manage. That is what he said. Okay. Let's now fast forward so, to, to yesterday. Exactly. His words, it's a disgrace. It's embarrassing. That's how I feel and that's how everyone feels in the dressing room. You cannot imagine the amount of messages we've got saying this cannot continue. It's embarrassing. I'm sorry, embarrassing. I feel sick. That's how I feel. I feel sick to be part of this. It's not good enough. We cannot accept that. So, as you say, complete hypocritical nature. Uh-huh. The, the problem is, is that whenever 
anybody, you know, clubs, uh, players, managers, whoever, when they ever come out and they say things like this, the only reason they're going this mad is because the decision hasn't gone their way. Mm-hmm. And that's all they want. They're not actually massively interested in VAR becoming better all of a sudden. They just want decisions to go their way. The only one I can say with an exception is Gary O'Neill because that is a man who does have a fucking oh, right mate. to win. <laughs> two poor, weeks man. in a row, we'll yeah. talk about that later, but two weeks in a row he's been done with VAR. Almost identical to yeah. as well. He has a reason to win, <laughs> and yet he's been completely calm, mm-hmm. professional, and actually his his words as a result almost have carried more weight uh, as a result. But Arteta's one, he just feels like a petulant child. And I, I think this is... I think that he's completely missed the mark with this. Um, I get it's he's passionate. I get that he probably understands the implications of losing this game because you know of the standards that Man City set. You've got to be on the you know on it for the entire season if you'd want to challenge. But yeah, for me, this was this was so over the top. Um, and if anything was embarrassing, I would say his his comments were. And even more embarrassing is Arsenal released a statement to back him up, didn't they? Did they really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what what it is they're expecting because if 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 the PGMOL, if Howard Webb, if they issue an apology to Arsenal, they should be embarrassed of themselves because this does not require. They've not, have they? They haven't yet. I'm just just saying that the longer this goes on, if they keep making noise about it, I just hope they won't be pressured into thinking, "Oh, we better make this right in the public eye and apologize," because they don't have anything to apologize for. They've been pretty quick with their apologies normally. It's not going to happen by now, Mm. isn't it? So I don't think they will get one. Yeah, I'd be really interested. You know, we we sometimes see Howard Webb with Michael Owen doing the whole, you know, Mm -hmm. like transcripts and showing. I've really been really interested to hear how they dealt with that situation when there was three incidents. Maybe a fucking long video. But it'd be really interesting to see how they came to that conclusion and what process they went through. Um, so, okay, let's. Um, there wasn't exactly. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't that incident alone that there was to, to talk about as well. There were two other fairly high-profile incidents in that game. Um, mm, fucking Havertz. Let's talk about the Havertz one to start with, shall we? Um, lucky bastard. Where, where, where do we feel on this one? Was he lucky to stay on? Do we think it was the yellow was the right decision? I think he's got to go. Absolutely, he's 100%. way out of control. He's. Okay, he's not touched the player, he's missed the player, but he he can't... What player was it that he was tackling? I can't remember who it was I was, now. It was Gordon, wasn't it? Mm, it was on the left side of the pitch. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe Gordon. If he was a few inches further forward, Havertz can't change the direction of his Short, body. long stuff, sorry. The way he's flying through the air, two-footed, off the ground. He's about a foot off the ground. Mm. He could have broken his leg. This is, I mean, Gary Neville tonight in the Chelsea Tottenham game was talking about Udogi's challenge. I don't know if anyone's seen it yet, but he he comes in, uh, he, he's two, he's two feet off the ground, he's two foot lunge as well in terms of that movement where you sort of, that the knee is bent and then it it, mm-hmm. it presses forward. The difference is with his is that he is a lot lower to the ground and Sterling sees him coming. Um, I do think that Sean Longstaff sort of saw him coming yeah. and probably invited the challenge. Maybe wasn't expecting to get fucking hammered like he did, but. You don't have it. Shouldn't be a case of we wait and see what the injury is before we decide what color the card is. And for me, I totally agree. I think that he's off the ground. Um, I can't remember actually if it was a, a full two footed lunge or whether it was one foot with one sort of following. I can't remember. I think by the end of it, on both well, it was he was jumping into. He was jumping in exactly, yeah, and he was going doing it at a pace I'm, I'm as well. Pre- from what I remember of it, he's jumped in, but he's backed both of his legs out of it but he's come in with so much force yeah there was certainly one leg that I might yeah. remember that went in but what, what do you think of the um, so apparently when VAR looked at this they said he was reckless not dangerous what? I don't understand that, that it is dangerous I mean surely one goes hand in hand with yeah. the other doesn't it I mean if it's reckless then you're endangering the opponent 
if it's dangerous, then it probably is reckless as well. Surely they're mm-hmm. almost one in the same. Yeah. So I don't understand that one at all. Kai Havertz, very, very fortunate. Um, and he also had at least one, maybe two other opportunities later in the game, later on after that, where he could have been given a second yellow as well. Uh, there was one I remember, I think it was on maybe Callum Wilson in the midfield, um, where he really should have seen a, um, a second yellow. And then, of course, we get to the Bruno Grimares one, uh, where he... Uh, leaves one on, shall we say, on, on, <laughs> on um, uh, it was Jorginho, I believe. Yeah, it was Jorginho. This one, I'm, I, I still personally think this was a red just because of the intent, if nothing else. I appreciate he's not caught him with the elbow. So, he's, you know. He's known exactly what he's doing. Yeah. You can see him eyeing him up. He's, it's a red card again. But mm. have they basically bottled it because they've thought, well, we haven't sent Havertz off, so we can't really send him off. I, I don't know. I mean, the problem is, is that I feel like the Grimara's one. It's difficult to compare that to the one to Havertz because Havertz one is like, it almost looks like he's properly tried to do him. Mm-hmm. It really does. Whereas Grimara's is one who's a bit. It's almost like it's petulant and naughty rather than really aggressive and violent. Mm-hmm. If you see what I mean, if he'd really done that with his elbow, I know you can't see what I'm doing on the podcast, but if he, you know, when people jump up the head and sometimes their elbow goes right into the side of someone's head. He hasn't really done that. He's just sort of like put his arm out a little bit and sort of caught him on the forearm. But it's the the intent. Again, you can't be doing things like that and getting away with it. So I think VR, whilst he gave it a lot of credit for the way it handled the the, the three-tiered incident, I think it's got Mm. both of these wrong, personally. And the fact that he didn't get booked for that, but yet the one he did get booked for later on where he's literally just holding his man off. Yeah. I mean that. I mean, could you make any case for saying that one was a red? I don't think so. I don't think that's even yellow. No, he's just. I'm just thinking about the position because he has. No, but he's not even like looks. (laughs) He's just got his arm up trying to sort of hold his player off. So, Mm. yeah, interesting game. Um, Full full of incident, full of controversy. Anthony Gordon, of course, gets the winner. Man in in very very good form for Newcastle at the moment. Um, But in in terms of the, the context to. The overall look and feel of the table, it's a, it's a brilliant result for Newcastle. Um, they are very much the team in form at the moment, along with, along with Spurs, before we'll obviously see how the rest of this game plays out tonight. Um, and for Arsenal, I don't know, just this felt like this result was coming. You know, they had a really poor game against West Ham in the week. I know they changed their side around and West Ham, you know, played a blinder, mm. kind of came out of the blue, really, that, that mm. performance and result. But it very much felt like this game had been coming. I know they battered, um, who was it they battered? Sheffield United, wasn't it? They battered the week before. But I think we but we all agreed that this was a, that was a lot down to how poor they were compared yeah. to how good Arsenal were. And this sort of showed me a little bit that, new, that Arsenal still got a little bit of a soft underbelly and that they can still be got at. And if you go combative with them, you can sort of out, you know, out-muscle them effectively. Um, is this um were there what is this a worrying sign for Arsenal that they've not really been able to get out of second gear this season yet, do you think? Or am I being too harsh? No, I think you're right. I th- yeah, and the problem is when you've got a team like Man City that you're trying to keep up with, you haven't got the time to sit in second gear. You have to get going as soon as possible because you're not, not going to catch them otherwise. Yeah, I mean this is, the weird thing is that City have lost two games already this year, but they sit top of the league. Mm-hmm. Um Tottenham even if, if they draw, if this stays as a draw, they, they'll stay second because of goal difference. And Arsenal have only lost one themselves and they're three points behind City because they, they've they drawn a couple of games. So that's the difference, isn't it? Is that if, if City don't, if City lose, 
Sorry, if City don't lose, they're winning. They're not drawing very often. They've not drawn a game this season I th- yet. I think the, di- the difference with them is the fact that City are always a team that people are going to try and play against. So they're going to look to defend them. Whereas with Arsenal, you can clearly see they get quite easily rattled and they play to the occasion. Mm-hmm. So teams like Brentford, Everton... Chelsea, you played They're, they're going to cause them a lot of problems because they're going to be up in their face. Yeah. Whereas when you do play City... City control the game, and it's just their their name that just gives them the power in, in games, and yeah. it just gets them in the head. There's there is a psychological battle that you have to play against yeah. when you're playing City, um, and I think you're absolutely right. I think that's a really good point: is that when you play City, is that you go into that game knowing full well that you are going to have very large periods without the ball, and you have to change your style accordingly. It takes a very brave team to try and go toe to toe with City because you might get a result, but there's chances are you'll probably be on the wrong end of a hammering. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with Arsenal, I don't feel like, despite how good they've been and how good they can be, I don't feel like the fear factor is there with them. Certainly not this season anyway. And in, in much the same way, not, not to the same degree, but obviously with United, there's no fear factor there with them anymore. and hasn't been for some time. But I just feel like Arsenal, people will look at Arsenal and think, look, we've seen West Ham do it last week. We've seen uh, Chelsea do it. We've seen other teams do it this season. If you go at them and actually press them and, and try and um, win that physical, intense battle, they sometimes don't have an answer for it and they do lose control of the game and they really struggle to get it back. Mm. Um, and obviously that was largely what happened to them towards the end of last season where they just kept losing control of the game and were unable to get it back and they let the league slip through their fingers. Um, but look, we're only 11 games in the season. A lot can happen, a lot can change. Um, I'm not saying for one minute that Arsenal are out of the title race or anything silly like that because they were very obviously not. But I feel like Arteta's got some work to do and I wonder if his interview afterwards was just a little bit of frustration in general, boiling over because you know he knows the levels Arsenal can get to, and he's not really seen it enough this season so far. I think um, for Newcastle, you know, we saw them dismantle United in the uh, Carabao Cup with with a you know I wouldn't say a completely second string team, but it certainly wasn't their first team with the injuries, bits and pieces. Um, is it you know do Newcastle have a little bit more depth than we give them credit for? Or are we just, <laughs> without Dan being here, are we just saying United, we're just dog shit? You know, I were awful. Yeah, they were. I mean, some of them goals. that uh, The one where um, Mount just lets Livermento just run past him. You've mm. got to take one for the team there and just take him down. He's yeah. running through the whole team, basically. Uh, so I don't think you can really judge Newcastle on the, that Man United game. I think but the they, one thing I've been really impressed with Newcastle, though, and the only other team I can really think of that, well, the obvious is obviously is Man City, is that when they rotate, every player that comes into the team fits in like a glove. Yeah. They all know their role. They all know their position. They all know their job. And it felt like in that game, again, you know, erring on the side of caution because of how bad United were, but it felt like all of those players that came on all had, uh, you know, they all knew their roles. They all knew their jobs straight away and they were, they were on the case. And I thought they were brilliant. So, yeah, exciting times for Newcastle. Obviously, they're back in Champions League action this week away at uh, Dortmund, I believe. Um, Man United, I know we've been talking about, we'll talk about them in a moment as well. They've got a massive game this week. City, potentially without Haaland, who, who knows what they'll do. But I think Newcastle can be very, very pleased with their start. Um, they sit in sixth place, just seven points off, off, the, uh, off the top. Um, I really think that's one thing that could maybe de- derail them in the league is if they go further in the Champions League, depending on how far through they get yeah injuries might catch yeah. them as well I mean they've had a couple of injuries obviously Isaac is injured at the moment one mm-hmm. or two others as well 
Um, so we'll have to sort of wait and see how uh, how they deal with that, um, over the, especially over the Christmas period as well, because that's when he gets really busy and really, you know, all those squads are tested. So, right, okay, uh, let's move on to um, Brentford against uh, West Ham. Sorry, we're, we're giggling because Chelsea just wasted a really good opportunity on a 3v2 counter there. Um, Brentford against West Ham. Um, finally, a, a game without controversy that we can talk about where there was no contentious uh, referee decisions and Tottenham are now down to nine men because your doggy's just been sent off for a second yellow. Um, so it's both players who've been sent off for Spurs now. Both wanted an early bath earlier tonight because both yeah, Romero exactly. and you doggy. No, um, no, my team have uh, they should have been sent <laughs> off probably long before they they actually did. Um, yeah, so uh, Lee, if Chelsea don't win this game now, what what's he doing? He's on a yellow card. <laughs> <laughs> right, um, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah, Ange is um, yeah, he's not. You can't believe what he's seeing here. So sorry. Right, back in the back in the zone. Sorry, what we're talking? <laughs> football, football. Um, Brentford against West Ham. Yeah, brilliant game of football. Um, I begrudgingly have to accept that so Brentford have just got our number at the moment the fact that not only did Neil Morpay score against yeah. us did you hear the stat about the last time he scored it against you was yes it? it was yes. four, five mm-hmm. games ago or something yes it? it was yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yes the, you know, West Ham given the uh, the good Samaritans football club that we are I uh, like to give handouts to anybody that we come up against uh, oh how's that gone over the line how's that not gone over the line sorry we're getting distracted stop <laughs> This was, in a nutshell, um, the Moyes' sort of inability to organise a defence. We've now got the fourth worst defensive record in the league. Um, now, David Moyes' MO is all about being defensively sound and playing counter-attacking football and all that kind of stuff. If you cannot organise a defence in that kind of tactical style, you're in deep shit because you are doing a lot of defending playing in such a way and if you can't defend it's not like we're not scoring goals by the way we're scoring quite a few goals and a cracker as well and yeah Kudus mm, is good. Kudus how fucking good is that guy yeah. by the way um, Bowen setting a record for the first Premier League player to ever score in his opening six away fixtures um, he's had a fantastic start of the season you know we've got players scoring goals but we just cannot stop them from going in and it's the uh, the first goal was calamitous that was Saturday League stuff mm-hmm. Um, the second goal, the own goal, was stupid. I don't know why he's trying to flick that over his own bar, just fucking head the ball back where it's come from. Uh, and the third goal, you know, it's a great header, to be fair, but it's it's poor defending to not close the cross down in the first place. I think all of it was avoidable. Yeah. Um, you should have been a 3-1 up. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, my God, Antonio. That, that would have made the that game was, completely yeah. different. That was that was when the, uh, the old turn tabled. No. Yeah, the, the problem is, is that we don't know, you know, how loud Ben Rama was calling. We don't know why Antonio went for it when Ben Rama was there for a tap in. He went his wrong foot as well, didn't he? Yeah, he's he stretching for him with his left foot. He's probably looking um, for clout on the podcast, though, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the problem is, is that you know, I've seen a lot of people on West Ham forums and Facebook and bits and pieces where they're saying that Antonio, you know, it's like, oh, you're so quick to forget that he set up the first goal. It's like, well, yeah, but. A broken clock is right twice a day. Just because he did one good thing doesn't mm. mean he's you know that absolves him from guilt for all the other shit performances he's given us recently. And ironically, even though I know we didn't have Pakatar, we didn't have Alvarez this weekend because they're both suspended. And I'm not saying they would have made much, uh, a difference, but when we played Arsenal, um, we had a really just a, a, such a positive attitude, a positive mindset where we we pressed hard. We had Bowen up front through the middle. 
Um, and he just gave us so much more mobility in behind than we've had for ages under Antonio. Because all Antonio wants to do now, seemingly, he doesn't want to run challenges as much as he used to, bang on when he's 34. Um, so he wants to come and try and receive the ball a bit more, but he seems to have completely lost the ability to hold the ball up. Um, this is like the fucking Alamo at the moment, this Chelsea's <laughs> Spurs game. Um, so I, I'm really frustrated as to why he persisted with with Antonio maybe this weekend because Pacatar wasn't around I can sort of let him off mm-hmm. um, but even his substitutions I mean we're chasing the game and he brings on four nails who's been poor this season mm-hmm. who's barely played at this point I think he's just bringing Danny Ings on just for the sake of it token gesture it is it's like there's no there's no tactical reason because we I don't think we've had the ball inside us inside the six yard box all season mm-hmm. and that's where Danny Ings works so I don't understand any tactical reason why you would keep bringing him on. So I'm a little bit dumbfounded as, my, to, as to what's going on there with that. My issue on West Ham's side of this is we know that the way the Moyes sets up, we know he's very tactically aware of sides when he's up against the Kosh defensively. Yeah. And what are Brentford known for? Crossing in and set pieces from yeah. the from the edges or on the wings. Mm-hmm. What did West Ham not do all game? Defend either set pieces or crosses from the wing into the box. And the, the stupid thing is, is that we're not a small side. I know we were missing Zuma, and he's a you know he's a, a big aerial uh, you know dominant presence. But Agued is a is a big player. Mavropanos is quite a big player. We had Suchek in the side. There was no, as well. there was no excuse for it. No, it was poor um, man marking. No communication. The, the the first goal when Mope scored, there were two players at the back post, and no one was around them, and he headed it straight back into danger. So a bit of communication sorts that out. So it, it is frustrating because we are actually, when we have the ball, we've got so many talented players. And it's, I think the biggest frustration with West Ham fans is we're looking at this squad and thinking, fuck me, there's a really good squad there. If somebody can just come in and just let them loose, let them off the fucking leash a little bit, um, then maybe we'd see a very different West Ham side. So I'm sort of counting down the days until a change is made. Um, I, Moyes is not getting a new contract, I'm certain of it. They've, um, they said... This morning, actually, a source had said that he's he's not signing a contract or an extension for next season. What that the club aren't offering him? The club are not offering right a contract for next season. So for me, that makes absolute sense. So he's done brilliantly. We cannot forget what he's done. He's stabilised the club. He's given us three years of European football and a trophy. Thank you very much. But we now have to take the next step forward. Thought, uh, yeah, I think <laughs> in order for you to actually move forward now as a, a club and a team, you need to take that next step and. And get a new manager in. Yeah. If you look at the, the clubs in the top, where's the where, where's my team table again? So you've got City, Spurs, Liverpool, Arsenal, Villa, Newcastle, Brighton in the top seven. Every single one of those clubs plays in a reasonably similar similar style. They all play on the front foot. They all play with positive intent. I don't think you can realistically live with those teams year after year playing the way that Moyes does. No. I don't think I just don't think it works anymore. There's a time and a place for it. But you've got to have that's a, that's a plan B, not a plan A for me. So we shall see. But as far as Brentford goes, though, um, that's three wins on the spin. They sort of put mm-hmm. put the brakes on that bad run of form they were in. That's you know they've they've got themselves back in the top half of the league. Um, is um, I want to talk about Brian and Burmo for for a moment. Um, I know uh, our, our mutual uh, contact, shall we say, who's a Brentford fan, was was talking big about Brian and Burmo in the week. I've got rid. Oh, did you? <laughs> um, he was basically sort of saying that, you know, that he's a, one of the most underrated wingers in the league. 
Um, what do you guys think? Are you surprised that no one's had a little look at him? Do you think he's good enough for a bit of a step up from Brentford? I think so. He's It's not just been a one-season wonder, has he, so far? He's done it last season. He's doing it again this season. Mm. So A lot of that team are uh, sort of like dark horses, really, aren't they, in that squad? I mean, this has been brilliant. Mm-hmm. And Bermo's, what, yeah, for the past two seasons now, has really come into, come into flight in the Premier League, so... Yeah, I just I look. I'm trying to think of a, there was a there was a team. I'm trying to think who it was. It's not Stoke Stoke City when they first came out. It's not not really a fair comparison because Stoke were a way more one dimensional team than Brentford. I know Brentford are seen as that team who you know like to get balls in the box, something like Stoke mm. did. But I think they've got more about them than yeah. Stoke ever did. Um, <laughs> but they, I don't know what it is. They just they've made themselves almost feel like a Premier League staple already. It feels like they've been around in the Premier League for a lot longer mm-hmm. than they have. And bearing in mind, this is only the what their third season in the Premier League. Was yeah, it? it is yeah. their third, isn't it? And it feels like they've been in there for so long. And it at the moment, with the way things are going, um, Ivan Tony coming back in you know a month and a bit's time, things are looking well, I mean, right at the moment. Quite similar to Brighton, really, aren't they? In the fact that they're they're not a, a wealthy club. They're, they're very, well run, very very well run club. Mm. Good recruiting side. Good, good managers as well. Yeah, like the only the only real difference is that is the fact that Brighton's uh, transition of players seems to be a hell of a lot more than what um, Brentford are. Yes, yeah, Brentford don't seem to have not at the moment. I mean, we might see maybe next summer Ivan Tony. I don't think they're going to do anything in in January. I don't see any club coming and paying big I, I money. I think they're not just pricing him out in in January anyway. Well, if Tony turns around and says, "I don't know how long he's got left in his contract," eighteen months. Is that all he's got? Yeah. Okay, well, it's gone quick. In which case, then, then Brentford will have a decision to make next summer, then yeah. I suspect. Um, but uh, we'll have to wait and see what people want to pay for him and what Brentford are, accepted, are willing to accept. Um, so, yeah, let's move on then. Let's talk, uh, let's head, uh, focus now on the bottom part of the league for a moment. Let's talk Sheffield United against Wolves. Um, a massive, massive first three points for Sheffield United of the season. Um, they were the last team in the football league to uh, to win a game uh, in all six is it six divisions? I don't think they were going. I think they, uh, I think they were going even further down. I think they were going into the national the, league. The, yeah, eight, eighth tier because Sheffield FC. So Sheffield Wednesday, Sheffield United, and Sheffield FC have all now won. <laughs> were they the they're last all, three? And they're all bottom of the league. <laughs> Uh, dark days for Sheffield uh, for Sheffield residents, but uh, no, I mean it was a it was a massive win. They they absolutely needed that. Um, they they really really needed that. I think that um, big old helping hand though. Yeah, uh, I really feel sorry for Gary because I really like Gary O'Neill. I've, I've really grown to like him over the last sort of twelve months or so. Um, can you guys believe that we've basically just seen deja vu yeah. with that penalty? It's, it's literally exactly the same as what happened at Newcastle last week. I mean, bearing in mind the people in the VR booth would have known, they would have seen last week, they'd be aware of it, I'm sure. How have they not seen that and not decided that that was clear and obvious enough to, to overturn that? I just don't get it. It's just a blatant dive. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's it, the thing. There should, be, it? It should be two yellow cards, one yeah. for Cher last week and one for whoever it yeah. was this week. It was Fabio Silva, wasn't it? Yeah. On Bulldog. It was he, yeah, on Bulldog, was yes. Yeah. yeah, I felt really sorry for Fabio Silva. The boy was in bloody tears yeah. at the end of the game. Um, yeah, I, I, I just don't understand... Sometimes I mean, it's smart putting yourself in between man and ball, but if you've got a camera to look at that, that's fucking simulation for sure. He was going down before there wasn't even any contact. No, he and you're right. He was already going down. I, I, I feel like we can all sit here and we can a bit like last week say I can understand why the referee gave it, 
you know, at match speed, you can yeah, sort of yeah. see that it might look like he's swiped him as he's trying to clear the ball. But as you say, you've got cameras fucking everywhere. You've got views to show that there was almost no contact whatsoever. And any contact there was there was already after he was three quarters of the way down towards the ground anyway. So, yeah, I really feel for Gary O'Neill because Wolves have, have been quietly very good this year. But how many points have they lost now? because of, of those decisions. Um, you know, you think all the way back to the first game of the season against United with the Anana one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I really feel for them. Um, as far as Sheffield United goes, Pete, um, obviously we spoke last week about how sort of poor they've been, a cracking finish from Cameron two, Archer. Two brilliant goals, really. Yeah. yeah. Cracking penalty. Yeah, that what a bloody good penalty. Yeah. I think that was a stat saying that was their first shot on target in... Was it 900 minutes or something? Like that? Yeah. I saw it. It was something ridiculous. Well, at home or in, 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 in general? Wow. That's that's incredible. Um, um, yeah, really really well-taken goal by Cameron Archer. I'm, I'm surprised he's there, to be honest with you, because when he was at Villa, I really thought that he was going to make something of himself, and yet he's just stuck with Sheffield United. He, he can never really seem to get out. He was He was brilliant in the championship. But he never really seems to push on any more than that. Was he at Middlesbrough last year? Was it Middlesbrough? Uh, yes, yeah. I think so. Under Carrick. Yes, that's it. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's. I mean, it's a great cracking signing for um, for Sheffield United. Yeah. But I mean, we 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 talked a lot about them in recent weeks about how you know poor they've been and whether Paul Eckenbottom is going to be first in line for the chop. You look at the table and they're. they're we 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 also spoke about whether the the bottom part of the of the league, the relegation zone, is going to be full of, um, you know, eight nine teams again, a bit like it was last year for long periods. But there's already there's a gap, yeah, beginning uh-huh. to emerge now because Everton's form has, has picked up over the last six games. Um, there's there's now already a gap. There's five points between sixteenth and seventeenth, and I know that doesn't sound much, but psychologically that's quite a lot. Um, Luton obviously getting a big point yesterday against Liverpool we're not going to talk about their game but that was a massive point for them Bournemouth you know they followed up a massive win last week by getting battered by Man City <laughs> um, you know I don't think there's much you can I do I think they were just unlucky that caught Doku on a yeah, yeah and <laughs> one of those days it can happen to any team against Man City let's face it yeah just touching on that game, are you speaking about that game? Uh, we were going to next, actually. We can segue okay. into that nicely now, if you like. We're almost there with Sheffield United anyway, so let's uh, let's segue across. Controversial, right? Go on. But 3-0 down to City, I really thought that Bournemouth were in that game. I really thought they were in you that were game. In the game, as in like yeah. they could get still get something from it. They had they had so many chance, like proper chances, but they were just so unfortunate with it. I mean, they had one of the goals disallowed. And then they had like two clear cut chances. That's true. Sort I mean, of just they just fell on their heels a little bit after that. I wouldn't say I I know what you I know what you're getting. I wouldn't say I thought they were in the game in terms of whether I thought they'd get something for me, but I thought they were in the no, game as chance, far a chance to be in the game. Like they I, weren't down and out. Yeah, I I, well, I I thought they weren't. It wasn't going to end up like it did. Put it that way. I didn't think they'd be on the end one end of a six one. I thought that they would still be able to compete and maybe keep it to three 0 maybe get a three one or something like that. Three two whatever. Um, I saw it was more than that. There was really something in that Bournemouth squad. It's just a shame that everything that City touched turned to gold. Yeah, I, I want to talk about obviously Doku was was superb in that game. Um, he he seems to me like a really natural replacement for Riyad Mahrez, um, just on the other side of the pitch, obviously. But Mahrez was pretty much the only player in that Man City team that would be willing to go one on one with someone mm-hmm. and properly take him on. 
every other player, even Grealish now, has sort of been nerfed that he just doesn't really want to do that anymore. He wants to keep the ball a bit like... He comes inside a bit more as well, doesn't he? Yeah. Whereas Grealish and that tend to stay out on the wing more. Yeah. So, I mean, does does Grealish have to be a little bit concerned? After that performance, yeah, I would say so. (laughs) I mean, you know, Guardiola's going to rotate. Yeah, I mean, Guardiola's going to rotate anyway, as as we know. But I think... Grealish had a good season last year. Um, I know he's been hampered a bit this year with injuries, but he won't enjoy watching his direct competition play like that mm-hmm. at the weekend. So it's going to be interesting to see how Guardiola plays this now when he's got a player like that in in that sort of form. I wonder how many people put Doku in their team now. Well, there was a, there was apparently, <laughs> according to the Fancy League Twitter, uh, there was eleven perverts who put um, <laughs> triple captain, captain on <laughs> triple captain on Doku. Like, who the fuck does that? I mean, you... <laughs> <laughs> I just don't understand. Like, uh, I mean, I've unfortunately, I'll admit, I give a reasonable amount of thought each weekend into my fantasy league team, and I'm still doing absolutely terribly. At no point would I've ever have thought to triple captain Doku. I mean, when you're looking at, I could, I could understand why people like triple captain Harland against mm-hmm. Bournemouth. Um, I mean, no one sort of obviously like only lasted half half a game because he picked up a knock. Um, well, you say that, but Shearer triple captained um, Trippier, didn't he? So what this weekend? No, didn't no. he? He triple captain a few. Weeks I don't ago, think he no, triple captain. He just captain them oh. when they beat um, Sheffield United like nine one or whatever it was nine nil. He got like a goal and two assists or something from Trippier. So he's, he's just a semi jammy pervert. Yeah, exactly. He's a, he's a yeah exactly. He's nursing a semi pervert. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. With, with Man City, this this felt like. A little bit of the ruthlessness. Uh, I mean, Bernardo Silva is suddenly, you know, coming to form again. And when he's in form, you're in deep mm-hmm. shit because he is just like that goal. Yeah. I mean, the, the casual nature of just lifting over the goal like that was utterly class. Um, I still got De Bruyne to come back as well. Oh, fuck, I forgot about that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. Man City are, are going to be a force to be reckoned with just, again this year, aren't they? they? They feel like they're just beginning to just kick into gear a little bit again, aren't they? It's just business as usual. They always score six goals against someone every season. So <laughs> it's out of the way now. Yeah, well, now now the question is, what do you do with Haaland? And you're, you've already taken him out of your FPL. I took him out about a month ago. And um, this is the best decision I made. I, I'm, I must admit, the trouble is I've got so many other players in my team that I need to get out. <laughs> I'll, end up taking, I'll end up taking a minus 30 to change my team round. So um, I don't know. Um, you did say you get a wild card after Christmas. Yeah, that's, but that's Christmas, a wild go. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of games around Christmas to have before. So well, everyone's clearly dropping like flyers because half my FPL team's fucked right now. <laughs> <laughs> I've been on cloud nine and now I'm <coughs> six foot under. Um, right, let's move on. Let's talk Fulham, Manchester United. Um, a rare win for Manchester United, but I think we can all argue this was a fortunate one. I was listening to it on the way home from work and said, oh, Fulham were absolutely battering them in the second half and could probably count themselves unlucky to to go away with a loss. I watched most of the first half before I had to go off to, to our game on, on Saturday afternoon um, and Man United were just so poor. They, did, they didn't really look like they had any cohesion. There was no plan. There was no togetherness in that team. I think that I saw a picture of somebody in the crowd holding up a homemade sign saying, play like you mean it or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, what was it? Yeah, it was something along them lines. I can't remember exactly what it was. Um, so, I mean, the trouble is with a win like this is that 
despite the fact that um, look at this high line Spurs are playing <laughs> with nine with nine players, um, it's the the, tr- the trouble is is that Ten Hag needs a big win to silence some of the doubters. Scraping a one 0 in the ninety first minute, playing quite poorly. Let's be brutally honest. And surely Chelsea have got a score here, haven't they? Finally, Fucking finally, offside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there we go. Finally, they've uh, they've unlocked uh, Spurs. Finally, um, Ten Hag needed a big win. He needed to to sort of silence some of the doubters. He needed his team to to really sharpen play. And yet again, yes, they've got the three points, which ultimately is the important thing. To be honest with you, I don't... They don't take anything from this game. I don't think it mattered how they performed. They needed the win. Mm. I don't think the performance really mattered. Do you you not think, though, that, you know, until they start finding that performance, even even if they've drawn the game, if if the narrative changes, if if they suddenly start playing better... (coughs) Excuse me. Does the narrative not change if they're actually playing better, even if they don't win? Absolutely, but they've been playing so badly and they've especially the last two games where they've got nothing out of the games, a win was, I think, all that mattered mm. at the moment, get some wins. And then hopefully the performance, well, not hopefully, but for a Man United fan, hopefully the performances will come with winning. Mm. I'm, I'm sure I saw a stat with Man United. It's the first time since 2016 they've won three games in a row away from home. Bloody hell. It was either 2016 or 2018. My guess would be 2018. Must That must be... Solskjaer when he first came in because mm. didn't they have a ridiculous away record Solskjaer yeah. um, he's at the wheel yeah um, one player I want to talk about with United I know we, we talk about United in quite long uh, detail or quite big detail most weeks because they're just a, a podcast wet dream quite frankly <laughs> um, but I want to talk about Hoyland up front because He's got under the radar a bit. There's always, there's so much going on at Manchester United that a lot of the attention is often directed at people like Mason Mount, at, at Anthony, at Bruno Fernandes as captain, all this kind of stuff, right? And all the, the ownership stuff. And we talked last week about whether we think that the ownership stuff can be blamed for what's happening on the pitch. I think we all agreed that to a degree, yes, but ultimately there, there needs to be some accountability at that level as well. But for me, Hoyland is just getting away with it a little bit because we're now... How many games without a Premier League goal? I feel a little bit sorry for him though. He's getting zero um, service, service or anything, is he? He's feeding off scraps, and it's is this. I mean, further to that point, then do, do we, is this a case of that United have not really sought out a striker that fits to their style because it doesn't feel like they're playing with a plan in they, mind when he's playing. The problem is, I don't think that's who they got up top. They haven't got a style of play. They've got no. You can't. From week to week, you don't know what they're going to do. They've got no, no, no style at all. You, mm. you know. But it, you know, in the in the world in world football, right? You got all the big teams. I mean, Jamie Carragher was showing something tonight before this game, and he was showing that all the big sides in Europe have all got strikers who, or the vast majority of them, have got quite old strikers. And it's almost like there is a real lack of proper number nines around there at mm. the moment. Um, and you see Harry Kane doing what he's doing at at, uh, at Bayern Munich. Was this a gamble too far to bring in an unproven striker at a young age and ask him to lead the line for a troubled team? I know hindsight's a wonderful thing, but for a troubled team like United, was this going to be a big ask for Hoyland to come in and, and be that striker that United have wanted for years? Personally, I think they should have gone all out to get Harry Kane anyway when he did move to Bayern Munich. Not saying that he would, he would have gone to Man United or that Tottenham would have sold him. 
Spurs have just equalised. Oh, it's offside. <laughs> um, but at least make an effort to try and sign him because mm. he was, he's ready made for the Premier League. I mean, if you think about they spent, what was it, 55 on Mount? I think 60. 60 million yeah. on Mount, 75 on Hoyland. That's 135 million. Can you not just go and give that to Tottenham? Yeah. Would they not have said yes? I know they didn't want to sell to a Premier League rival. I was wait. I was waiting for the Man United bingo. I've actually had this up just <laughs> just because Dan wasn't here. I was going to put this in. Fucking Mason Mount. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we need to get we need to like get some like clips of like Dan talking about certain players in his team. Maybe we could have one where he fucking hates Scott McTominay and then says he rates him. Just have those <laughs> playing on repeat. Um, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just feel Spurs would have, you know, Daniel Levy, 135 million. Mm-hmm. I think he would have probably relented if Maynard had come in with a serious bid for that. And I think because Kane's a known quantity, I think even in that system that United are currently playing, whatever that may be, Kane is experienced enough and good enough that he could have worked in that system because he can come in deeper. Yeah. He can link in so much better. And at the moment, Hoyland is just sort of upfront on his own not getting the service, being asked to sort of do doggies all day. And yeah, he, he just looks like he's really struggling. He's, you know, May not, it were nil, nil, and they're taking him off after like 70 odd minutes. Mm. And you're thinking, you know, he's literally your main number nine striker. Why are you taking him off? Leave him on and put players around him. And Get Martial's the fucking ball gonna, to him. Martial's going to do fuck all, is he? It's, I, it's I feel like, bad it's for like, Hoyland because he, he's literally like your Crespo, isn't he? Like, <laughs> score, score in Europe, but in the Premier League, he doesn't really do much. Yeah. Just play turkey farmers every week and he'll turn up and score. Let's talk about Harry Maguire. What? Like yes. How let's... good he was and should he have even been on the pitch with the uh, concussion and all that? I mean, bloke plays like he's got a concussion most oh, yeah. weeks anyway. But um, before we get into that, do you want to talk about the goal uh, that was disallowed for um, for Fulham? What do we think on this one? It's so harsh, isn't it? Very harsh. I think if you're in, Dan say, I know Dan. I know what Dan's saying. I know he was trying to wind him up when it happened. Yeah. Saying, oh yeah, that's correct decision. But it wasn't, was it? I, I don't think anyway. I can I, I can see why they've given it right, but for me, I don't think when you when you're when you're slowing it down a bit like red cars and stuff. When you slow it down, it looks mm-hmm. different to how it would look, look look normally. And for me, when that ball comes across the goal, there isn't a single player, goalkeeper included, who is reacting differently. Because, because Maguire has stretched yeah. for the ball. Everybody is acting normally. If Maguire doesn't stretch for that ball, nothing changes. And that's, in my opinion, why that goal should have stood. Mm-hmm. Um, if if he's if you see the goalkeeper kind of hesitating because he's waiting to see if Maguire gets it, then fine. Mm-hmm. You can say he's interfered. But he hasn't. He's got nowhere fucking near it. He's He's got to be at least a yard, if not two, away from that ball. And the defender behind him is not being impeded either. And, and we're, talk, we're talking about consistency again because, like we mentioned earlier, that Man City goal that... Uh, was allowed to stand yeah. at the start of the season, which if, if if you're ruling the goal out for what happened with Maguire, that's... Well, he's know, literally jumping over the yeah. ball um, and you can actually see the goal he hesitate in that yeah. situation they gave it. I mean, obviously, for Chelsea's point of view tonight, it just so happened that they then took the took the game back and then awarded a penalty, so yeah. Chelsea didn't miss out on, on, on the goal. Um, so, yeah, I think Manchester United can be a little bit... Um, Frustrated, obviously. In the end, it's uh, it's worked out okay because they they've ended up with the three points. But again, narrative would have been considerably different had that not happened because no one's really talking about that no. now. Um, but guarantee they would be. If yeah, it was it would be a hot nil. topic if uh, they hadn't won. Um, so, what do we think? Does does it relieve pressure on Ten Hag at all this win? I don't think so. Not, uh, not not just one win. I think it needs 
if he gets a run of wins now, two or three, I think he'll quieten down a little bit. But I think the noise will ramp up massively if they don't beat Copenhagen in the mm-hmm. week. Because if they don't beat Copenhagen and their Champions League, you know, get the hopes of getting out of the group are hanging by a thread if they if they don't beat Copenhagen. So I, th- um, I, th- I think the decision split because people see it in two different ways. You get the people that see it as a, a win, a 1-0 result in the last minute, Fergie time, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the other people that actually look at the performances. Mm-hmm. Now, the performances of United this season have been a shadow of what they were last season. Yeah. Um, with arguably better players, more of a Ten Hag squad mm-hmm. this season. So from that perspective, people would start knocking at the door and blaming Ten Hag. Um, you don't hear too much Ten Hag out though, do you? From Because everyone's focused on the Glazers. But yeah. You can't... The, how, how long has Old Trafford been falling down for? Mm-hmm. How long have the Glazers been there for? This, this isn't a, a Glazer full problem because they had success under a few managers previously winning a few Yeah, cups. they won trophies. Yeah, Mourinho had a bit of success there. But um, no one ever argues when things go right. Well, and Ten Hag, you know, won a trophy last year and got to the final of the FA Cup as well. So it's not like he had a bad season. Would you? I don't know when he said it. What do you make of the comments that Ten Hag said about um, Ajax, where he said that he's basically uh, abandoned the idea of trying to get his team playing like Ajax or playing in the same way because he feels like they're too sort of almost effectively set in their ways and he can't change them. Mm. I find that quite difficult to believe as a professional manager. Yeah, it makes him sound bad because he's basically saying that he's not a good enough manager to make them players buy into his philosophy. I mean, you're literally working with these players every single day, you know, more often than not, every single day of the week and he's now been there for 18 months. you telling me that he couldn't have got them to change their way. Look at what Ange has done at Spurs in a very short space of time to get them playing like they are. You look at what um, Emery's done at Villa you know mm. don't tell me that you I mean the example with Spurs is probably more poignant because they've had three very defensive minded coaches mm-hmm. before them and Ange comes in and basically transforms them overnight um, and I know it's kind of falling apart a little bit tonight not only with the result but well, with the injuries every and time we look around they've got nine players and then keeping all right <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah I feel like the um, the pressure will ramp up soon the, the narrative will change about Ten Hag soon it has I've seen one or two posts about the fact that they feel like Ten Hag needs to go, but as we said in the chat, like if he does go, who the hell comes in and who and how does it change? Because it just seems like they're just chewing up and spitting out managers with nothing really, no, uh, no change in um, the toxicity levels, no change in the culture at the club, and I don't really know what manager can come in and change that because they've had several play- several managers have come in who are supposed to be very authoritative. Um, regimented style managers in Mourinho and Ten Hag apparently what's his face um, Ranić was meant to be one of those as well and they've all failed yeah. um, so who the fuck do you bring in do, do you try and bring in a, a Deserby type manager who can come in and just revolutionise the play but you know, I, I, just, I just don't know where Man United go I really don't so anyway that's enough about Man United for this week I'm looking forward to when Dan comes back just because <laughs> You know, it's, it's fun ranting about Man United, but it's more fun hearing it from yeah. him. Uh, right, on to the final game we're going to talk about today. Let's talk about Burnley against Crystal Palace, two teams that we've not spoken about hugely in recent times. Um, record-breaking sixth home defeat in a row for Burnley. Um, 
Things not looking good for Burnley, are they, at the moment? They were unlucky. They, they were unlucky. They played well. Jordan Bayer literally had the defender or fullback's worst nightmare. <laughs> you can't, you don't get away with that at all. Um, for those that hadn't seen, a fullback's job is to not completely fuck it up and let the other team score. And that's exactly what he'd done. Mm-hmm. Um, Burnley tried getting back into the game. They were just incredibly unlucky. And then Palace got that second goal in like the, the dying seconds and just killed everything off. Mm. I really do feel for Burnley because they are so close, so close to getting those really important points and they just can't get over the line. Even uh, Hodgson said at the end after the game that it was massively unfair on Burnley. It wasn't a 2-0 win to Palace. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you take a look at the stats. I mean, Burnley's 67.5% possession, 17 shots to four. Um, you know, it, it was it was very much a passing percentage, 84% to 72. Um, although it does say that the three on-target chances that Palace had, every one of them was a clear-cut chance, whereas there was only two clear-cut chances for Burnley in the entire game. 12 corners for Burnley. You know, the, the stats, five yellow cards for Palace, fucking hell. Um, yeah, it's... It's a it's a good result for Palace because they've been pretty uh, average recently as well. I mean, it's second, only two wins in their last six for Palace, which is very much on brand with what we expect from Crystal Palace. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest: um, two wins, two draws, and two losses in their last six. Yeah. Um, but I am worried for Burnley because, as you say, that you can see there's there's a spark there. That you can see there's something there, but you can't be that nearly team. I'm trying to think of an, of an appropriate example recently. Probably Leeds. Yeah. Um where you know, fair, yeah. where you can see what they're trying to do, you can see that they do have a bit of an identity about them, but it's just for whatever reason they can't get themselves over the line to find those results. Um and they find themselves eleven games in with just four points. Um I think a problem with Burnley as well, they have literally like West Ham, they have one way of playing and that is it. And if it's not working, it's tough, they're gonna stick with it, I think. Yeah, I mean, do you, how much sort of uh, how much rope has company got? Do you think with with Burnley? You know, he did a fantastic job there last year. Well documented how well he did. Um, do we uh, do we think that he's got probably more? Um, I'm trying to think what the word is here. Uh, more life expectancy with Burnley than someone like Paul Heckingbottom at Sheffield United does. Mm. Um. I mean, Burnley in the championship last season, they had a lot of money coming in and out of the club and he was probably a little bit more free to to spend in terms of the competition in the championship. Um, I think when you... A good example will be Luton, Mm -hmm. is that both teams have come up performing around the same in terms of points. But you look at Luton and they've had to change their style of play while also trying to keep a little bit of their character to to get points. And the performances are starting to look a little bit better for them. Yeah, I mean, they gave Liverpool a bloody good game yesterday. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't yeah. for Diaz... Kaminsky as well, in goal was yeah. unreal yeah. for them. Oh, but, you know, it, was, um, it was almost written on the stars that Diaz would, would come on and score, given what he's got going on right now. But, but I think that, that's the difference in managers, though, where you have one which is doing all of that. I mean, getting promoted from the, the championship with Luton on that budget is incredible in itself. Yeah. But to get them currently out of the relegation zone, fighting toe to toe with Liverpool, um, is just something I just don't see Vincent Company doing. Mm. I'm not sure whether it's the manager, 
in regards to Paul Heckingbottom, I think the only reason he's going to get time there is because he's built up a, a solid foundation with the club. Mm-hmm. That's that's the only reason I see, see him staying. Yeah, and at the moment, I just wonder, because it's all quite close, no one's cut adrift. There's only two points separating the bottom four. It would take a brave chairman to be the first one to pull the trigger as well in that situation because one win takes one of those clubs out of the relegation zone. Um, now, what they could do with is all of them picking up points, frankly, and dragging a few more teams into yeah, it. Yeah. Um, but Everton, you know, under Sean Dyche, are just beginning to find a little bit of a groove. Obviously, they've had a couple of good results now. Mind you, did you see the stats from their game the weekend? It was it rather yeah. one-sided. They had 17% possession. <laughs> first half and had more shots bloody hell really and I think they finished the game with 20% possession who was that Everton 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 were at home as well weren't they yeah but that was fun for the fans to watch (laughs) Um, so but I mean look you know Sean Dyche is doing what Sean Dyche does you know finding ways to get points and and, and whatever and they're beginning to call away and defensively you know Everton have conceded 15 goals this season which is actually a very good return Mm. Sheffield United have conceded double that already in 11 games so it's, you know, they've, they've got to find ways of stopping. And I appreciate they considered nine of those in one game against Newcastle. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I won't go as far to say you guys, you know, which of the which three do you think are going down? Um, because at the moment, I think we probably have a very similar answer. But um, it is nice to see, you know, we, we, really, we really worried about Luton. Probably five or six weeks ago, we were really looking at Luton and thinking, my God, they could be the worst team to grace the Premier League in terms of the number of points. But I think they've changed that narrative a little bit. I think yeah. they've, they've changed opinions. They're, they're working really hard and they might just uh, they might just surprise somebody. I'm glad they have as well. It's nice seeing different teams up there and don't want to just see them get spanked every week. I, do do you know what I love? The, the best thing about Luton, you know, the ground is obviously just so old school. I just I, I fucking love it. The best thing about that is that a Premier League player, someone like Harland or Sally, you know, one of these like superstar players, is literally no more than a meter away from a fan. A fan could literally reach out and give him a wet willy. He's that fucking <laughs> close because you've just got like, I don't know, like half a meter between the edge of the pitch and the railings, and then the fans can literally basically they're there. They had changing rooms underneath a couple of terraced houses. Well. <laughs> yeah, literally anybody... people's ears on the fucking yeah, door. Literally, you can hear them fart if you're sat in the living room watching TV. Did you? That's the the fifth time that Liverpool have failed to win in a row at Kenilworth Road. Really? Yeah. How far does that go back? Uh, I think the last time they played them was years ago in the FA Cup. Okay. I believe that was a draw and a replay back at uh, Liverpool. But, yeah, very so, interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Right, okay, um, that just about does us then for the Premier League stuff, unless anybody else wants to raise anything that I've not spoken about. No, right. Oh, actually, Spurs are seven minutes away from losing. I'll be the last the team to time. lose I, their I will say that, record. I keep turning around and we're just about hanging on against nine minutes. <laughs> um, yeah, but you've had about 50 shots. He's going to score it. Oh, Jesus. If, if it stays this way, Pompey and Mansfield will be the only undefeated teams in the leagues. Well, weird, weird flex, but <laughs> <laughs> flex on the left. I mean, to be honest, this we've not watched. We watched most of the first half before we did the podcast. Um, this looks, this game looks like it's been absolutely mental. Um, Tottenham are playing an incredibly high line. I don't think he was. They're playing an incredibly high line. Why did you get rid of Jackson? He's fucking up. I'm not having this. What he's a player! <laughs> so good. He's been out of my team. I'm not celebrating yet because Mudrick looked offside. Yeah, I think he was. 
Oh dear. Right, should we do Dan Stat? Well, let's do Dan Stat then, shall we? Right, here we go. Dan the Stat, man! Right, so Cole Palmer is averaging 8.3 progressive passes per 90 minutes in the Premier League this season. The most of any player to start at least four games. But can you name the last of the top five players? Gotta be thinking like City, Liverpool, people create a lot of chances. Bernardo so pro- progressive means forward, right? Forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, okay, yeah. So Madison. Madison's in there, he's third with six point four. Bernardo Silva? Nope. Pacatar? Nope. I'll give you the teams just so it's nice and quick. So we've got Newcastle. Gumarez. No. Gordon. No. Almiron. No. <laughs> Think further back. Further back? Oh, Trippier. Yeah. Uh, Brighton player. Mitoma. No. Gross. Nope. Who else have they got in their midfield? I'm trying to think of their other midfield players. I was going to say McAllister, but he's obviously not there anymore. Um, Ansu Fati? No. Played that much, is he? No, that's a good point. He hasn't. Um, who's the. Well, instead of Stupinam, he's been injured for a while, isn't he? Now? Yeah, yeah. Stupinam's one. He is. Yeah. And then. Oh, say only like four games, you said, right? You yeah, say four. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. There you go. Yeah. And another Brighton player as well. It would be very, very surprising. Welbeck? <laughs> no. <laughs> he had a stint at Norwich. Oh, um, Billy Gilmore. Yeah. That's him. So Kieran Trippier second, James Madison, Billy Gilmore, Purvis, a stupid one. I didn't actually know that was his name. I know, it's a cracking name, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So cheers, Dan, for that. There we go. Right. Have we uh, have we got a quiz this week? We do, indeed. Yeah. stuff. Right. Let's get into the quiz. Wonderful. Right, I will. Uh, I'll forgive um, Lee if he's not fully concentrating on this because it's the last. Few uh, the game, the game's over now. The three went up. He can. He, he can. Oh, no. He can rest. <laughs> it. <laughs> right. So, question number one: um, Tottenham and Chelsea have faced each other sixty-two times in the Premier League, but how many of those games have Tottenham won? Closest answer wins. So they've played 62 times in the Premier League, Premier League only. How many of those games have Tottenham won? Just shouting out or? Yeah, yeah. I will say 15. I was literally going to say 15. Oh, I don't think it's many. Well, they had a oh, horrible God. record against yeah. top six teams for a long time, didn't they? Okay, Close okay, wins. Okay, I'll go slightly more. I'll go 17. You should have gone lower. Ugh. Lower. Spurs have only won eight out of the oh, 62. Eight. I knew it wasn't going to be many. Oh, Nicholas Jackson's got a hat trick. <laughs> Fucking hell. You... Fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be too annoyed because I took him out my team ages ago. Oh, He's done the oh, Ronaldo oh, suit. Oh. I'll get him out. Fucking sell him. Oh, dear. <laughs> and you had two goals disallowed as well. What two? <laughs> yeah. Well, right. I don't didn't see this result coming tonight. 
4 oh, 1. Okay, and no, he's, he's walked it in as well. So, just to count the before, sorry, before Pete carries on. So, they've lost 4 1. So, that's four goals conceded. They've had two red cards. Oh, he's on his um, So, that's two, uh, one suspension that's potentially going to be three games, one, maybe one. Uh, they've had Madison go off injured. I think Pedro Porro went off injured as well. No, he stayed on. Oh, he did. He stay yeah, on. He okay. He's on, yeah. just thought, "Fuck off, Mudrick. You're keeping that yeah. stat of one goal. <laughs> yeah. Don't trust you, mate." So uh, yeah, not been a good uh, a good day at the office for uh, for Ange and for Spurs. What a shame! In. <laughs> right. So one nil, Chris. Uh, question number two: uh, The Premier League has 187 English footballers, but what country is in second place with 33? Total stab in the dark. Okay. Is it going to be an obvious one? It's got to be, surely. Spain. Okay. France. Brazil. Really? France were third. There's more Brazilians in the Premier League than any other international nationality. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, dokie. So this one is uh, points per team. And it's going to be 5 oh, 1. That's the <laughs> that's Nicholas, ja- like that's the Nicholas that Jackson we know and love. <laughs> <laughs> right, so yeah, this, this is a point per team. Um, so if you want to get your phones and just write down some um, teams, and then I'll give the answers after. Okay. So only five English teams have won all four divisions of the English Football League system. Who are they? Are we saying Premier League? Before Premier League as well. Oh, so okay. t- it was total stabs in the dark. So only five English teams have won all four divisions of the English Football League system. But who are they? I feel like they're going to be some really left field ones. In there. Oh yeah, there are. There are some really surprising ones. Um, How many? Four? Five. Five. Five English teams that have won all four divisions. I was trying to think of what teams would be lower down rather than I mean it's going to go back to the 80s yeah exactly okay I'll I'll try then I'll give you a hint and say it's none none of the big teams yeah I haven't haven't got a single big team in mind no okay Um, how many many teams we got I've got three at the moment I've got four um, to really then, yeah. I mean, this is yeah. To be honest, I mean, this, this is a complete yeah. stab in the dark here. Yeah. Right, I've got my five. Given your luck, I mean, you'll <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd happily drop my luck for this for maybe a little bit, like in the FPL, but <laughs> don't seem to be able to transfer that between the uh, games. Is that Brian Gill still there? Yeah, I think he's been. Uh, I think he's kit man now. <laughs> all that money and still a shit. Come on, was it Barcelona or something? Was it? Yeah, years ago, somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. Somewhere in Spain. He's going to be the next best thing, wasn't he? Cheers, everyone. Son's crying now. <laughs> <laughs> right, one more team, maybe. Go on, Lee. Go on, Lee. So the teams are obviously. Cool. Pompey. Do you want, should we? Should we? Oh, oh, of course, they're fucking joking. now. <laughs> really? You've won all four, you've won all four divisions? Okay, well, I haven't got Pompey then. Yeah, okay. Well, that's me. You've done one yet. Burnley. No. Do you know what? I almost put Burnley as that right. last one. So that's you haven't got any. No. no. Preston North End. I've done Preston. Yes. <laughs> one each. Got a point there. Sheffield United. No. Wolverhampton Wanderers. Oh, no. I put Forest. I had Forest. Put Cholton. 
Because they was mm. all right. For yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they've been bouncing up in the championship. Also, I've got Everton because so. they're not a big team. I had Everton. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I had Everton as well. <laughs> um, I had Leicester and Villa on my other two. Yeah. I put Luton as well. <laughs> Just as the last one. Mind you, Le- Leicester would be true if I asked that in about seven months' time. They do win the league. Mm. Oh, really? That's, they, that's the won. only one that they haven't won. Yeah. Right, so that's a point of peace there. So 2-1 to Chris. Uh, keep your phones out because it's an anagram now. And this is, all I'm going to say is English for now. So it could, be, mm-hmm. it could be players, manager, whatever. And the anagram is treat to huge shag. <laughs> He's just trying to find, he knows we're both eventually married. He's just trying to wind us up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's six and nine. Treat to huge shag. 69. Is there some relevancy to like something that's happened recent recently? And that's why it's in here. I mean No. <laughs> you could perceive it that way. I wouldn't say it's a massive clue or anything. Okay. Um, Struggling? Yeah. Yeah, in- English manager. Was it six, six and nine? Six, nine. So that's first name, surname. Six and nine. Treat to huge shag. Are, are we saying, well, how much you want to give us? Are we saying English is in his nationality or English he, that he's based in England? He is an English. He is English. Right. And he's a manager. Okay. What sort of names are ticking in your head? I don't know if I'm being sucked into thinking that like needs to be like a Premier League manager. Or... It's not a Premier League manager. Good, good. Is it the Pompey boss? No. <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember what his name it's is. John Messino. John Messino. Um... I think I'm struggling with this one. I'm, str- I'm struggling for England managers. You know, my head's just gone like completely blank. I'm trying to think of English... English managers. Yeah, think, oh, hang think, on. Um, it's Gareth Southgate. Yeah, English managers. <laughs> you said it about six times. Right. Cool. <laughs> so Brilliant. I was going to say, had things gone our way, he would have been treated to a huge shag. <laughs> um, okay, so that's another so one to Chris. It's blatantly obvious as well when you say it. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't say any more. I'm saying English manager. Um, so that's free one to Chris. Uh, another who am I and this one I've actually fucking checked this time <laughs> so has he won the world cup <laughs> <laughs> I think he has actually but it's not in here I only assisted once in my Premier League career however it was the most important assist of that season I am a journeyman known for my troublemaking antics who am I Balotelli Yep, straight away. Mario Balotelli. Oh, of course, the Aguero assist. Oh, he might get it back. It's 3 2, Chris. <laughs> right, another one. I have played with Eric Lamella, Chiellini, and Sergio Ramos. I am also the top scorer of my country. Who am I? Gareth Bale. 4 2. Okay. <laughs> when did he play with Chiellini? Did he play for Juventus? Cellini 
You said I, I played with Cellini, did you say? Yes. When did he play with Cellini? Or Chiellini, or whatever his name is, because he's only ever really been at Juventus, hasn't he? Or did he, or did he, he play at Madrid must, at some point? Madrid. Mm-hmm. No, he's never been at Madrid. He's always, always been in it, isn't he? History. When Bale was only ever been Spurs, Madrid, and uh, Galaxy, oh, whichever team in America it was. So yeah, Los Angeles FC, so it must have been there. The oh, oh, his career. Yeah, oh, I see, over in America. I didn't realise he finished well, no, I didn't. I thought, he, I thought he stayed at yeah, Juve until he retired. In fact, I thought he was still there now, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Holding the stadium up. Right. And this last one, I'll make this for three points, just oh, so yeah, yeah, Lee yeah, might win a win. <laughs> last goal wins. <laughs> so. Only winning 19 nil at training. Next goal wins, lads, and they score and win. For this one, I want your fingers one, two, or three in the air when I ask them, okay? So this is two truths and a lie. So the first one, so I'm, I'm going to say them all and you've got to tell me what one is a lie. Okay. So number one, if you score an own goal directly from a corner, the opposition are awarded a corner. Number two, a penalty taker cannot score from a rebound if the ball directly hits the post. Or number three, goalkeepers must have their gloves checked to ensure no gluey substance is on their gloves during a match. Which one's a lie, would you say? Which one is a lie? Okay. And one, we'll do two, one, two, or three. three. Okay. Do you want them again or are you happy? No, I'm, I'm happy. happy. I'm happy. Okay, right. So show them in three, two, one. So you've said that number three is a lie. And Chris has said that number one is a lie. Number three is a lie. Do you know why? I saw that. um, It popped up somewhere, that first one. Read the the first one again. If you score an own goal, (laughs) if you score an own goal directly from a corner, the opposition are awarded a corner. You have to score it in your own. So you have to. Oh, take okay. A I misheard it. For some reason, I thought that if a corner came in from the attacking team and you scored an own goal, that they for, therefore get another corner. I was like, hang on, that ain't fucking right. But I you're saying that, that if, you're you saying that if the mate, and... <laughs> <laughs> the wind catches it and blows it back down the other yeah, end, and you score, and your goalkeeper's up. <laughs> I've not right, checked okay. that's ever happened before, but I mean, the third one did sound outrageous, yeah. but I was thinking to myself that you know, obviously got confused with that. Cool. So Lee wins. Great. I, 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 I thought the second one was going to get you about the penalty takers because no, I, I didn't actually know that was a bloody rule. I'm yeah. sure I've seen that happen before. Because effectively, the rule is that the, the penalty taker cannot touch the ball again until somebody else has touched it mm-hmm. and the, the goalpost doesn't count as a player. That is bonkers. So there's, it's funny, there's a couple of referees I've had in, over the years who didn't know that rule and somebody's, uh, you know, had, I, don't, I don't know if they actually ever scored from the rebound, but they took another shot from the rebound. I'd and be they, fucking they embarrassed won't. if I scored a penalty like that and I was having to go at the ref. <laughs> <laughs> fucking know the rules, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Lee wins. Good. Right, Lee and Lee's never coming back again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right, mate. We can all make up rules just for the guests. It's fine. <laughs> right. I um, didn't tell you about the forfeit, Chris, because you lost. <laughs> yeah. He gets to pick your... Um, well, what you're going out in for, for Christmas, do you? Oh, God. <laughs> I'm not going as Jimmy Savile, all right? That's what happening. <laughs> Um, so yeah we'll uh, obviously let you know I, I very much doubt that Dan will be back next week but you know it's kind of down to him as to when he feels like he's uh, 
able to return and you probably wait for for a Man United win so we'll see him around Christmas time <laughs> um, so uh, yeah hopefully next week Lee, Lee will be back next week um, with a bit like we'll have Shearer as well we could have all five of us next week we could have a lovely old fucking time next week get get all the get all the garden furniture in here yeah you can sit on the sofa and you have to shout over from, from the sofa so uh, excellent thank you very much everyone for listening LMA Manager goes out as normal tomorrow that is episode 6 I think tomorrow Um, so yeah plenty going on it's all very tight at the top at the moment so do check that out uh, to see how we're getting on and we will see everyone on the show as normal next week bye bye goodbye